a then manager brought back an album. It was a, it was just a plastic demo album of the Velvet's very first album in 1965-ish, something like that. And uh, he was particularly pleased because Warhol had signed the sticker on the middle. I still have it, by the way. I still have that uh, album. And he said, uh, well, the, the, I don't know why he's doing music. This music's as bad as his painting. Mm, I'm going to like this. So I've, <laughs> I'd never heard anything quite like it. It was a revelation to me. Um, and then, so, and so it influenced your own writing and music in some way? I think, um, it, yes, tentatively, it, it influenced what I was to do for the next few years. Uh, I don't think it outrightly, I don't think I ever felt that I, I, I was in a position to become a, a Velvet's clone. But there were elements of what Lou was doing that I thought were just uh, unavoidably right for both the times and for where music was going. Welcome to another episode of A Space Podity, Pod Like a Hole, Season 2. Last week we discussed Ziggy Stardust and the Spiders from Mars, the rise and fall of Ziggy Stardust. Tonight we will be discussing the supplemental material from that record, some B-sides, some covers, Lou Reed's Transformer, and Mata Hoople's All the Young Dudes. Please join us for the second half of our look at 1972 in the world of David Bowie. So let's get into the supplemental stuff that didn't make it off the record. Yeah, so before we do that, let's. Uh, there's a ton of covers on this album. I can't get into them all. It's impossible. Uh, I, there's, there's way too many. An album like this, this is like trying to... If you go and you find a... Hey, let's see how many covers there are out there of... Um, I don't know, Pink Floyd's Wish You Were Here. Bad example. Anyways, we can start with one that everybody knows. And Eric's more equipped to speak with this than any of us, I think, is uh, I always found it weird that uh, Bauhaus covered Ziggy Stardust. Yeah, it's a weird it's a weird one for them because it doesn't have the moodiness that they're usually um, attributed to. But it, I think it's a pretty great one. Um, even uh, yeah, our, our Peter Murphy doesn't even necessarily sound like himself on it. He's singing in a more high, higher register. Cool. There's a cool video that like definitely shows you what goth kids look like in the eighties. Mark, have you ever listened to it? Yeah. I didn't have a chance to revisit any of the covers for this episode, but I have heard that version before. Yeah. And I was just going to ask Eric, if you saw Heather in that video, <laughs> could it could have been, could have been, it's, it's true. Glad, glad to say Peter Murphy's still with us. He was in the hospital recently for, for a heart attack. Um, you know, glad he's still with us. Uh, lay off the meth, pal. It's not a, it's not a good drug. So, uh, yeah, there's a lot of other terrible bands out there that cover a lot of songs off this album. For some reason, 
everybody had a, something to say about Suffragette City. The Get Up Kids. Warrant. Hey man, I am phone. I got you. Poison. Hey man, I got a in my face. This chick just put my spine out of place. Culture Club. Hey man, all my school is insane. Hey man, all my what's down the train. They all had something to say about Suffrage City. Did either of you listen to any of those covers? No. No, no, I don't. I don't want. I don't need to hear what what Poison has to say about Suffragette City. I don't. Okay, uh, out of all those, and there's actually many, many more. The the ones I I actually enjoyed was I did enjoy the Get Up Kids version of all things, and I am not a Get Up Kids fan at all, and I know neither of you are. I don't think either of you could name a Get Up Kids song. Uh, no, they're like they're like uh, early aughts emo, correct? Yes. Yes. I think there was a band on their label that I liked, but I did not. Nope. I couldn't tell you a song. All right. And then late, late, right before we recorded tonight, I learned a band that are friends of Eric and Steve's show. The nerve agents did a cover of suffrage, suffragette city. Uh, what'd you think of that cover? If you even listened to it. Yeah, I did. And, uh, Great. Yeah. Uh, okay. Tell, I, tell us a little about that cover and tell us a little bit about the, about the nerve agents in they're general. Just a, they're just a great, uh, uh, great hardcore band that ended up on Rancid's Hellcat records. Um, and they're just great because they have like the dual vocals and one of their vocalists is like really wailing. The other one's more screaming. And so they do their back and forth thing. Uh, the Hey Man, they, they do that part. Uh, that comes out pretty great on the song. And they always have a guitarist that shreds uh, more than you'd necessarily hear in that genre of music. Um, they're pretty, they're pretty, their sound is pretty expansive for hardcore. So I, I'm a fan. And that was a cool, that was a very cool cover I didn't know about. Yeah, I've always, I've always, uh, I think Eric might have actually introduced me to them. And they seem to strike a line in between punk rock and maybe what bands like the Icarus line were doing in the early aughts. I, uh, no, yeah, that's, that's totally fair. Yeah. Yeah. They were good. Uh, there's, there's too many covers to go over for the Ziggy Stardust era of David Bowie. That's, uh, it's mind numbing. We're going to talk a little bit more covers when we get to Mata Hoople later. And not just the fact that Mata Hoople's version of the song was kind of a cover or vice versa. So in 2002, was it? Was that the album, uh, the the book, the thirtieth anniversary? Yep. Okay. Yeah, we all we all picked that up. Yep, that was that, that that exposed me to the album for real the first time. It was a great package, and it was a uh, it, it was CD sized. It was with a CD. There might have been a vinyl version. I didn't have it, but it came along with a hardbound book of uh, Ziggy Stardust, and there were some great bonus tracks on there, and we went through some of them. So yeah, we've talked about the alternate versions of the songs already. Yeah, we did. We did. So we did. We already discussed the Arnold Coors version of Moon Age Daydream and um, the, the Lady Stardust demo. The um, the yeah the other the new version of, of Moon Age Daydream. 
Hey, so let me ask you this though. Yeah. The whole the whole Arnold Coors thing. Do we got to go in depth about that, or is I, it? I thought I already did that. You didn't bring up that there was like another fake singer that yeah, was going to be. Where have you been? You? Yeah. He did. He did. <laughs> all right. I was probably getting yelled at by my wife. All right. So. <laughs> yeah, we we, we did all that already. They were like the original gorillas. Yeah. Okay. It's, yeah, it's done. Good. Glad you got all that out of there. Yeah. Uh, John, John, I'm only dancing showed up, uh, during this era. So John, I'm only dancing that that's, that's a good one. That's a, it, it's on, it was a B side during this era. It was a live staple. Right. Um, it's kind of velvet underground ish. What do you think about it? great i think this is really what i was talking about earlier when i said he was he was kind of writing songs uh to be a gay icon when he really wasn't gay but uh then there's always a debate and on you know if that was a good or a bad thing um this was an unabashed gay song um and uh about the lifestyle and uh about uh, you know a couple that going through some of the same uh emotions of jealousy that uh, that a straight couple goes through but it's a gay couple and um I, I think it's pretty fun, and it was. It ended up being redone as John and Lily dancing again on a later album, correct? Yeah, I th- yeah, it was like I think in like 1990 or something like that. Something right. way later, or maybe I'm no. I think it was actually in the 70s. No, Sorry good. about that. I oh think yeah, it yeah, was it was like yeah, it was Young Americans. Version. That's that's when it, that's when it popped up. Yeah, so. yeah, yeah. But I was trying to think, like, if no, that was fame that was uh, redone in for Pretty Woman. <laughs> You're right. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Uh, but this song is not bad. Yeah, it's a big, big fan of that bass line. It really goes for a walk, especially during the choruses. I'm only dancing. It turns me on. Yeah. It's great. Yeah, and Mick Ronson gets to do a little bit of a wanking and wailing with the towards the closing. It's a it's all right. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, next track that was inspired a movie that we can talk about now as well is Velvet Goldmine. Velvet Goldmine, you stroke me like the rain. Snake it, take it, and the princess you must stay. Velvet Goldmine, make it on your chain. I'll be your king, volcano ride for you. I'm a big fan of this song. This right. song has, it was so obviously this is a, you know, David Bowie and the Velvet Underground scene were enamored with each other. Right. I think, I think it went both ways. Um, but this song has this like weird, it sounds like it was recorded in a gold mine. It's just <laughs> a weird pogo bouncing. Yeah. You got crazy legs. You got amazing head. Yeah. No, but it's that, it's that core, the velvet gold mine, and the way you kind of move your yeah. neck back and forth with it. Oh yeah, and it it's sounds got like bouncing around the room. It's got some really early. Well, we'll talk about on Transformer that boom, ding, 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 ding. It's got that uh, that uh, really almost uh, umbop uh, piano line. Yeah, no, exactly. That goes back to my. It has a touch of that old West feel to it. You might be hearing this in a nearby saloon if you're reading The Gunslinger, the first book. Yeah. Yeah, and so uh, I think it's a good song. 
I like it more than John and Molly dancing, but this isn't a contest. Sure. Uh, this one will work its way into my rotation. I've heard it before, but now I, I really, for the podcast, I studied it. I dig it. Mark, did you listen to this track? Of course. Yeah, I like this song. Um, apparently, this was supposed to be where Starman was on the album, uh, but RCA's A&R department decided they wanted a hit single for the album, and they replaced this one with Starman, which I don't know if Starman really set the world on fire. And this apparently this song is... Uh, Bowie has said in 1990 that he was writing in the third person, and it's about worshiping Ziggy Stardust through a groupie's eyes. Um, so it does kind of fit into the narrative. But yeah, this song is great. The Velvet Gold. Yeah. yeah. He, uh, he also said that this and uh, Sweethead, he believed were also axed because he thought he wrote, he wrote them too explicit. The lyrics were too uh, illicit, actually. So, so I watched this movie for the first time last night. It is aesthetically a tribute to Bowie and the glam rock era. Uh, right around this time it came out, I believe even the main man manager is is, uh, is depicted as Eddie Izzard in it. But nobody has the same name. The names have been changed to protect the innocent. It tells you that right on the opening card. It says, you know, this is all based on fictional characters, but meant to be played at maximum volume, which is actually a tagline that's in the Ziggy Stardust album. Clear, clearly, yep. uh, the main character, uh, John Rhys Myers, Reese Myers, is meant to play Bowie, but that's not his name in it. Um, his name is... Maxwell Demon. And he's, he's very glamorous, and it kind of follows him uh, from his troubadour days to being a glam, uh, glam hero as he gets inspired by people along the way from a... Um, a uh, cross-dressing performer, uh, like a drag queen type performer, to um, uh, Ewan McGregor's Iggy Pop character, known as Kurt Wilde. Um, and, and so he gets inspired. And the, the thing is, is Bowie did not sign up on the movie. In fact, he threatened to sue because it was not based off anything he put out. It was based on a unauthorized biography, and it was based on Angela Bowie's book. He did not sign off on it. And I can understand why. I mean, listen, part of Bowie's fun is that he, his life is a mystery, right? I already think a biopic about Bowie is a bad idea. So, and this movie was made in what, 97, 98? That sounds about right. I think it was 96, 97, somewhere around there. Had none, none of the original songs are in there. Well, there is like a Velvet Underground song in there and a couple other things, but to get you in the era, but Bowie's band, uh, based on the Spiders from Mars, are, are from Brip, people from Pulp and Blur are playing in the band there. And then uh, Iggy Pop's band is made up of people from, um, I feel like Sonic Youth and some of the American uh, more grungy type bands. And it, and it kind of follows the story of a rise and fall, a, a, somebody that becomes a huge glam star and then you know gets corrupted and, and falls and the whole thing's being pieced together by Christian Bale's character, who's a reporter in the eighties. And to add another layer, it's like an oppressive eighties. It's almost like 1984, the book. And he's, and he's sent to go find out what happened to this Bowie type character who disappeared. And he used to be a part of that scene when he was younger. So he has to revisit his past a little bit. And, um, it's an interesting concept. I thought, um, 
I thought it was fun to see the references. Uh, my biggest problem was the whole time it doesn't feel authentic. It feels like it was based on on other people's opinions uh, about about Bowie yeah. and the music, though done by really respectable people. I can't underline that enough. It's not the Bowie songs, and it's they're not because wasn't Radiohead. Yes, yeah, in fact, in a few tracks yeah. when uh, John Rhys Myers couldn't cut it, they had um, they had what's his name from Radiohead, uh, Tom York. Um, doing his best Bowie impression, like singing over it. songs are great they're not catchy they're not as good as the original and it and it's kind of glaring like you kind of want to get through the songs faster in my opinion i thought like i was like let's and like half the song's a musical and i'm like okay let's just get back to the story here that's how i was feeling when i was watching it they do a version of babies on fire though i remember like um catching that uh brian Eno yes. song yeah um that's true and I think even Needle in the Camel's Eye also makes an appearance in that. In that, so I, there was some interesting yeah. takeaways. And you know, I'm a big fan of Ewan McGregor. I am. Oh, he's he steals the show. But that's the only. There's just so, small silver linings that right. you get from that movie. In my, I only saw it once, and I have no plans yeah. on seeing it again. Yeah, I, I I haven't seen it since I was a teenager. In my mind's eye, it was good. Whenever I hear others talk about it, I think it was just because I was a teenager. Um, and I did not obviously revisit for this podcast. And Eric, did you mention that David Bowie and his uh, crew said you're not using any oh, of yeah. our music? Oh, yeah, 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 yeah. And that, that was the biggest problem, in my opinion, was it just like the music never feels authentic. So it. And there's too so much of it that <laughs> it's it's ha- you know it's half musical so it, it does slog a little bit but I mean it's got some great it's got some great it looks very nice it looks very beautiful so well I think it was Todd Haynes Todd, Todd yes, Hayes yes Todd Hayes I think he was more he was more wanting to tell an Oscar Wilde type story yeah than he was a glam rock story half the dialogue is Oscar Oscar Wilde snippets from from his books yeah yeah I don't know I I stepped out to let the dogs out. Did you also mention? Uh, didn't he also direct Far From Heaven? Oh, did he? I don't. I don't know. He did. He did direct Far From Heaven. You remember Far From Heaven? No. Far From. Oh yeah, Far From Heaven was one of the late night uh, Stephen Eric date night movies uh, with uh, Julianne Moore. Correct. Yes. Yes. Yeah. 
So what, early in our relationship. Oh, I remember that one with uh, Dennis Haysbert. Yeah. <laughs> or Dennis. Yeah. Are you sure? Or was it, uh, was did, it Dennis Haysbert Dennis or Dennis Quaid. Quaid? Dennis Quaid is in it. Yeah. Oh, uh, no, I thought there was. Oh, what movie am I thinking of where there's like a. Yeah, I guess I just didn't know his name. So Dennis Quaid is in it as well as as her husband that's that's clearly dealing with with uh, homosexuality. And then she is having an affair with a black man. Yes, that's that's what it's. That's There's what two it. Dennis's in that movie, <laughs> and there was one Eric and Steve who, early on in their friendship, decided to make that a uh, let's rent this and watch it film. Yeah. So. Yeah. Anyhow, yeah, Velvet Goldmine, uh, not as good as uh, as I remember it, according to everyone, and life's too short for me to visit it again. Right. And I am going to make a note on our chart. Uh, whatever year Hedwig and the Angry Inch came out, we're going to watch that and talk about it. Yeah. I think that'll be like 1998. <laughs> I, and then my hot take is I feel like that is a better, like, story of, of Ziggy Stardust. Um, in the, in the, uh, it just feels more authentic, even though it's a completely new character. And, that, and, and that, I, I love that. But. I do, too, and I, think, I don't think you'll be the first or last person to say that. And it also gives me an, uh, an excuse to drop a clip from Typo Negative's cover of Angry Inn. So... <laughs> That was Typo Negative? Yeah. <laughs> that was that was Typo Negative's uh, Angry Inch. It is the fall. It's Typo Negative time. And here we are listening to another bonus track, Holy Holy. Okay, yeah, this is just one. It definitely does fit in the story in the sense that um, it is looking into uh, the combination of sex and religion. It's got a catchy chorus. Uh, it could easily be something that uh, that Ziggy was feeling as he started to rise as a messiah in the storyline, but it was cut out. Um, there's some great Ronson work on this song, um, and they revisited this often um, as a B-side in later later years. Um, yeah, it's got. I mean, it's got some great harmonies in it. It's, that's that's it. Holy, holy. Yeah, I think this track it, it definitely it has a a sense of jangliness to it, jangling that makes it sound very early '70s or late '60s that I dig. I, I like a song that. I can imagine, uh, why, even though I don't want to hang out with the hippies in their communes, <laughs> I wouldn't mind walking into one of their communes and hearing something like this being jammed out. Sure. And that's what I feel when I hear this yeah, track. Yeah. 
It's definitely. It also uh, sounds very, oh, sorry. Go on. It also sounds very much to me like it could be a ghost song. Um, ghost is a band that Eric and I like, uh, and they, uh, they they have a lot of religious themes, and they also have a, a sense of theatrical. And I, I feel like the, uh, the 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 religious, you know, holy holy, and then the whole, you know, hang on to me vocalization. I can imagine Ghost covering this song, which makes me like it a little bit more. Oh, yeah. It's all right. Yeah, and it's, it's Bowie dipping his toes into Aleister Crowley lore also for the first time, which is kind of fun. Mark, you got anything on Holy Holy? I think it's just an okay song. It I, I really get the, the T-Rex influence big time on this one. But yeah, it's okay. So that takes us next to Round and Round, which is a Chuck Berry cover, I believe. Or... Or a bastardization of Chuck Berry, is that correct? Yeah, I, I don't, I, yeah, yeah. I, I listened to it once. I don't have anything to say about it. It definitely sounds like Bowie doing Chuck Berry. Uh, not for me. Yeah, it's just like a typical '50s blues, uh, kind of like a blues rock number. I mean, that's not a blues hammer song or anything by that means, but you can definitely tell the the '50s influence. It's like Marty McFly playing at the Enchantment Exactly. RBC. And there is a place for that, especially with some of the influences for the whole album we're listening to here. So, yeah, I think it's all right. There's another uh, uh, quick skippable one, Amsterdam. Uh, well, I'm not skippable. Fuck you. All right. you know <laughs> I just meant I, I was waiting. Okay. All right. Go on. We've been we've been on we've been on the same wavelength all night here. And then you had to just toss in the word skippable with Amsterdam. I'm with Eric on oh, this one. I'll let you guys. I'm going to let my dogs out again. <laughs> And by that, this time, I mean, I'm going to go get a pack of cigarettes and I might not come back. In the port of Amsterdam, where the sailors all meet, there's a sailor who eats only fish heads and tails. And he'd show you his teeth that have rotted too soon. That can haul up the sails, that can swallow the moon. And he yells to the cook. Wow, Steve really cares about Amsterdam. I mean, it's fine. Uh, I would say it's it's similar to Five Years. He's telling, he's painting a picture with his lyrics that I think is really good. It's yeah, not his no. song. Oh, that's it's, true. It's a cover of Jacques Jacques oh, Brel. Yeah, um, I mean, it's got explorers of soiler, uh, sailors on shore yeah. leave. I mean, um, I think Steve is more along the lines of going to you know strictly bluegrass festivals and enjoying yeah. this kind of stuff. This would be stuff that I'd be more hanging out the beer garden for. All right. <laughs> Asshole. <laughs> for one, yes, my middle name is Earl, so Steve Earl. And he, Steve Earl is at the Bluegrass Festival in San Francisco every year. That's nothing, neither here nor there. Um, this track, when I first bought pinups on cassette at the Dimple Records on Arden Way, it had a bonus track, and that was this. And I've always thought this is a great song. I know it's a cover. I I think I'm a big fan of um, flamenco-ish guitar work. And while you're not going to really find this here, there definitely is a flair of the exotic to it. I think that you definitely do. You know, he is talking about being at the port of Amsterdam, and I sound. I feel that the sound really does come across that this guy is sitting. You just got off the, you're a fisherman. You just got off your goddamn boat. You're walking into 
a brothel in Amsterdam. This guy's playing this song. I think he paints that picture perfectly. And I think the inflection of his vocals for when he really wants to belt out the, you know, and, and they whore and they lust at the accordion bursts towards the end. You guys probably don't remember that. You listen to it once and probably never listen to it again. I think it really works well. I've liked this song longer than I've known Eric. Or wait, shit, no. Just about as long. <laughs> so um, I'm a big fan of Amsterdam. Well, I'm happy for you too. Us no. too. Mark doesn't like it. No, you and no, <laughs> me. No, hit you in the song. Okay. Yeah, no, it's fine. I do the accordion. At some moments, I thought Tom Waits would do a killer version of the song. But um, anyways, uh, the next one is called The Superman. We browed with super fear. Their endless tragic lives could heave no sign. In solemn perverse serenity, wondrous beings chained to life. And that was just an alternate version of it, because uh, that's off of The Man Who Sold the World. Um, I need a refresher on The Man Who Sold the World before I can really determine of how it differs. I think it's a good song, though, but yeah. Great, great talk. <laughs> Sweet head. From the spits of blacks on the gum you chew. Where the posters are torn by the mug and gangs. And by the faggy boy kiss the burnout fans. I like this song. I mean, it obviously makes reference to just you know, oral sex. I guess uh, the RCA wasn't really big fond of it because it had strong innuendo, racist name calling, and directly references to oral sex. So apparently the record company didn't think that it would be a good indication. Uh, they did five takes of this song, and the one that it's on this is take four. Um, it's not a bad song, though. I think it's pretty good. It's the only song that he references Ziggy by name in. Uh, but yeah, ultimately it is a pretty racy, racy song. Uh, but Ronson gets to show off on the guitar a little bit on it. So it's um, not entirely forgettable, although it was forgettable, forgotten for decades until it was released on one of these uh, bonus discs. So the last one that we'll cover before going into rapid fire on Transformer is All the Young Dudes. biggest Mott the Hoople fan out of well, all not, of us. I'm not so. really a Mott the Hoople guy, but I mean, I, I dig, I did dig into that album later, but I've always liked this song. I mean, you guys know this song, correct? Oh yeah. Yeah. Oh yeah. It's a great yeah. song. I always thought it was just a Bowie song. That's crazy. Yeah. Yeah. And, and Mott the Hoople, they were kind of, um, shit, I don't know, like a deep purple type band. And Bowie really was a fan of the reaction they would get at their live shows. And he would go see them live and be like, these motherfuckers, they are having a connection here. But the record sales weren't there. And so for whatever reason, this is a Bowie-written track, and he wrote it for him and gave it to him, And it became a big hit for them. It said, if anybody knows of Mott the Hoople, this is the only song they probably know. It's a great track. And when they played this live, like, wouldn't he do a med- 
medley with this one and uh, Oh You Pretty Things. Some breakfast and coffee. Look out my window. What do I see? Crack in the sky and a hand reaching down to me. All oh, the nightmares came today, and it looks as though they're here to stay. As far as the versions I've heard, yeah, it's a. Uh, I believe it's Wild-Eyed Boy from Free Cloud goes into this, and then that goes into Oh You Pretty Things, which is okay. a that's a mean medley. If you ask me, that's good. Uh, this is a great song. It's a it's a glam anthem. Uh, Eric and I neglected to mention that last week when we were going through our uh, our, our our scribbled notes. We quickly put down. It's a chronicle of glam too. I mean, they're like they're like listing off just par- aspects of the culture in the song. The way it opens up with the people know that people everyone knows that it's been covered by Lisa Loeb. And Wendy's stealing clothes from unlocked cars, and Freddie's got spots from ripping off the stars from his face. Funky little boat race. Television man is crazy saying we're juvenile delinquent wrecks. Oh man, I need TV when I've got T-Rex. Dickinson. Osborne. 
and many others. I really actually think the Bruce Dickinson version is great. The, for those of you that are uh, unenlightened, Bruce Dickinson was the, and is still, the lead singer of Iron Maiden. But at the time, he was not. In the early 90s, he took a solo venture, and he made such albums as uh, Balls to Picasso and Tattooed Millionaire. And that's where you will find his cover of All the Young Dudes. There you go. All right. So that's all the ancillary work. And Stephen decided to give Lou Reed's album Transformer. It was his second solo record after um, venturing out from the Velvet Underground. This album was produced by Mick Ronson and David Bowie. Uh, I believe it was released in either 71 or 72. I'm not too entirely sure. 72. 72. It's got 11 tracks on here, and we're going to quickly just go real fast, rapid fire. Imagine being a fan of Bowie, and you'd probably also be a fan of Velvet Underground, and seeing Lou Reed at a solo coming out the same year as Ziggy Stardust. Like, you'd be just being hog heaven, having those two albums to chew on all year. I think this is very much, for the people at the time, for us, this was our Nine Inch Nails, Marilyn Manson combo. You're getting, you're getting an album produced by the guy that sounds enough like the guy to where the other guy's album makes you think it's worth listening to. And I think it's a fucking magical record. We're going to do this same thing for uh, Iggy pops. What is it? Raw power. But uh, we'll, we'll go through this quickly. Eric, give us uh, you, you're the, you're the, you got me into the velvet underground. I knew of them, of course, Yeah. but you got me into them. Uh, tell you, don't, you don't got to get, don't go into the whole factory for God's sake. This is like a, a snake eating its own tail. Um, Velvet Underground inspired Bowie, um, as you can clearly tell in the, just their sound and their music. Um, and then they they broke up, and Lou Reed released a self-titled album a couple years before this, and it bombed. It was it was not a critical or commercial success. Um, and Bowie, who was like living parallel to Lou Reed, like and and, and intermixing with a lot of the same people, um, you know, definitely wanted to to do some work with him. And so they, they, he and Ronson produced this next album. Um, and a lot of it is originals. And a lot of the songs are, are at least three or four of the songs are songs that Velvet Underground played live before they broke up and can be heard on the bonus disc to what I think is actually their best album, which is loaded. Um, you can hear some early versions of some of these songs like satellite of love, etc., etc. This is a very special album to me. Lou Reed, I really wanted to like because of this album and Velvet Underground and the rest of his solo work has some good moments, but for some reason, this is the last album he sings on. The rest of it, he's talking through all of his songs and you know how I feel about that. <laughs> you know, it's interesting. Okay, so I'm gonna go ahead and just lay down some controversy right now. I think this is a half of a good album. Oh boy. Oh God. Um, and so honestly, I still think that it's still just that standard Lou Reed. I'm just going to talk through some of this. And then in his later work, he really just like, I'm not even going to bother even changing my inflection on my vocals anymore. But I think half of this album is absolutely a beautiful chef's kiss of an album. The other half I'm like, the fuck was what are we doing here so 
There it is. I'm just gonna lay it down right now. <laughs> well, let's 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 see where. Yeah, that's good. Let's see let's see where those are for you because uh, I do. At sometimes he does. I do say, oh, he sounded Lou sound a little lazy, and then the background Bowie and Ross will do something really cool, and I'm like, all right. Yeah, but I will say, like the half that hits hits so damn hard. It is phenomenal. Like what is we're we're scaling the mountaintops, and then on the other half, it's like you did you expend all of your creative energy just doing the other stuff so yeah <laughs> well fair enough yeah uh, this 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 album is near and dear to me so i'm excited to talk about it really quick but what do you got what do you got steve anything else uh two th- a couple things one mark's out of line <laughs> uh two um i, I do want to say that the personnel on this album was lou reed obviously Mick Ronson, David Bowie, Herbie Flowers, our buddy from the Spiders from Mars, and John Housley on drums. Actually, Herbie and, was not in Spiders from Mars. He was uh, Space Oddity era, and then he would come back later for, what, Thin White Duke era? I'm glad that someone's paying attention, and yes, you are correct. And uh, he was previously with the David Bowie band. Trevor Boulder, Ronnie Bass were on various uh, horns. Uh, <laughs> um, then you've got the Thunder Thighs on backing vocals. Oh, good. Yeah. Oh, good. Uh, Mick Ronson and David Bowie produced it, but it was mainly Mick Ronson producing with uh, David Bowie giving suggestion, if I understand correctly. Sure. Um, I can see that. Also, to Mark's point, I think it's a solid record all the way through. He does talk in some tracks, but I don't really have much of a barometer for Lou Reed to, to grade here. I know this album very well. I listened to Lulu... Pathetic little dog Following his nose But it needs my money to buy All the way through, which is the album he did with Metallica That's an abomination, unfortunately And um, I listened to Metal Machine music Because I felt like it was required of me Uh, I don't really... I can't speak intelligently about Lou Reed besides this album and Velvet Underground albums. So, people say New York is the other really good one. I've owned that album before. Um, there are some like Dirty Boulevard has a really catchy hook where he's actually singing, but then he's talking through the rest. And that yeah, so it's just a, if you can't get over the talking, which I cannot, then his solo work's gonna be a real problem for you. And a lot, a lot of this album is, um, it was you know we talked about in Ziggy Stardust. And Velvet Goldmine and some of the uh, am- ambiguity and the bisexuality and the homosexuality that may or may not have informed some of it. This definitely, it's called Transformer. Uh, transsexuality was one of the subject matters that come up quite a bit on this record. And I think it was pretty bold right. for the time. I don't think it's ex- exploitive. I think those guys were hanging around those scenes. So. Right. I think it's important you said transsexuality because you wouldn't like transgender people don't go by that term, but this is very much more of like a fetish. So that, that, that's where that makes sense. So anyways, well, you know, Eric, I'll, I'll let you correct me in the notes, but uh, transgender is, is gender identity. It's what you feel like, you know, you're, you feel like you're actually this gender despite what your body is. Transsexual is, is more of like a cross-dressing or a, it's a, a sexual fetish. Well, I'm glad. That, see, that's why we have you on the payroll. Um, <laughs> going yeah. into that, Vicious is the opening track. Eric, how do you feel about Vicious? Oh, baby, you're so vicious. 
Vicious, uh, Lou Reed, uh, other than just being like, I'm Lou Reed and it's Vicious, like, uh, he's, he is not doing too much with his vocals here, but it's got a real good, good, like, very Mark Bolan-esque guitar drive to it, and you just hear that cowbell wonking the whole time. And I find this to be a very fun song, and I think it's a great opener. Yeah, he basically, you know, he told uh, Lou Reed that, or no, he told Andrew Warhol that uh, he's so vicious he could knock him over with a flower, whatever the hell that means. Um, uh, Warhol told him that. Yes. Yeah. 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 I think it's a good, it's a good opener. It's a good strummer to bring up Credence again tonight. I think it's got some uh, a Credence vibe to it. And Vicious is okay. Mark, how do you feel about Vicious? Yeah or nay? I like this song. Okay. It's a good one. Good. That's it. That's all. I'll say. That's all. That's all we gotta do. We're gonna. Mark, yeah. uh, Eric and I will actually talk about the songs. Mark's gonna give us a yay or nay. Uh, Andy's chest, Eric. If I could be any one of the things in this world that might, instead of a dented ocelot on a leash, I'd rather be a kite. Andy's chest uh, is. Um, yeah, this is a little, uh, basically, you know, it's all about Andy Warhol. He was a big influence and, and, and a partner with Lou Reed in his art. Um, and, you know, a, obviously Bowie was in, the, in and out of that factory scene. Um, and I like this a lot. There's some really uh, ridiculous lyrics in this song. Um, like, uh, like, uh, and now she is a bear, a something, something bear, bear, honey, bear, bear. I don't know. The lyrics get absolutely preposterous in the song, um, but it's fun. Um, not, it's not a highlight for me on this album, but it's a good one. It's all right. The production, as I think on this whole album is good on it. You can hear every instrument breathe. It's got those weird bump, bump, bump uh, parts. Right. Era Mark. It's an okay song. It's uh, I appreciate what he's trying to do. It's obviously trying to um, recognize and tip the hat to Andy Warhol, someone he probably considered a mentor. Um, but musically, it didn't do much for me. Um, and yeah, when you shave a, a bear, it becomes a pink bear bear. Um, it's, it's funny, but it's not something that I'm going to go to the great horns in the background in the hooks is good yeah i mean just well, i mean that yo go on that lyric is stupid <laughs> but that is kind of indicative to lou reed's lyrical style he tells a lot of bad jokes if you actually dig into it uh he does he he's does. very wry he's very i'm a new yorker and oh aren't i clever <laughs> um yeah. yeah it's somewhere between a getting a drink with a guy late at night and also dad jokes. I mean, for the record, I, um, I also really love the album by velvet underground loaded. And I actually like a lot of velvet underground. So don't think that I came in here with knives out for Lou Reed and thinking, uh, no. you know, I was out to get him or anything. It's just, it's, I mean, like I said, most of these songs, I'd say half of the record is absolutely flawless. And then the other half is just like it doesn't whoa. help that he's a he's a notorious asshole. So it doesn't. I'm not here yeah. defending him. I mean, his work in Velvet Underground is he amazing. Was, but what yeah. was a notorious asshole? He's yeah. dead now. A timeless, 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 yeah. notorious asshole uh, that, that transcends life and death. But 
But if you look at like the sequencing of this record, it's like a classic and then an okay one, a classic song and then an okay one and a classic song and then <laughs> an okay one. It's like, yeah, it's kind of I mean, that's yeah. just how I was viewing it. I was, I was listening. Yeah. To well, it, all right. So. All that, all that aside, let's get to a classic song. Perfect day. I'm glad I spent it with you. Oh, such a perfect day. Mark, how do you feel about this song that that Bono helped make a fucking masterpiece? I love this song. Um, my introduction to this song was actually uh, when I watched Train Spotting. Um, I think a lot of people in our age group, you know, that was their per. They're probably their introduction to it when Ian McGregor's character ODs, and um, then you hear that. I had the Train Spotting soundtrack when I was a kid. I'd listen to that when I was in high school. My dad one time walked in on me in uh, my room listening to the song, thinking I was about to commit suicide. So it was kind of interesting. Um, uh, so I I love this song. This song is definitely one of those that. Uh, it's so emotional. It can absolutely bring me to tears. And I love this song. I love it. And I know that it, it's not necessarily about heroin addiction. It is, Lou Reed had said, it's just about a great day that he had with his fiance in right. Central Park. And it was, yeah, I, I, but it was used perfectly in train spotting because it, it, you know, it could be, it could be interpreted that way. Um, yeah. I'm with you. I mean, this is, this is a, this is a, a beautiful b- piano ballad that ends up having these, it's all Ronson comp- composed string arrangements going on in the background. Such a good man. He was Mick Ronson was such a talent and some of the compositions he would make in the string work is just beautiful. He really, that guy was much more than just yeah. a guitar wizard. It's true. Yeah, it's really true. I didn't realize that he was the one playing the piano on this upon doing research. I was like, damn, he was so multifaceted. And it's whole the last line of the song. It makes me forget myself. makes me think I'm someone else, someone good. That's a heartbreaking little track, little line right there. Oof, yeah. So good. I'm a big fan of the, you're going to reap what yeah. you sow line. Yeah. Um, great song. It builds, it builds, it builds at the, you know, he does talk a lot on his other tracks, like delivery style, like the guy from cake. But he could sing when he wanted to. That Lou Reed. Uh, we in our in our research we stumbled on the BBC music video of this, where it was a star-studded, well, kind of a star-studded uh, feat, where they redid the song. It starts with Lou Reed. You see some beautiful shots, and then you get everybody from Bowie to Bono to uh, uh, Doctor John, <laughs> and then a bunch of other people that we know. <laughs> You've got you've got burning right. spear. Yeah, yeah. Emmy Lou Harris. Got, uh, Emmy Lou Harris think, is in there. Uh, I think Christy McCall. Um, and then the other half of that, uh, Shane McGowan pops up for one second, looking like the yeah. Wolfman. <laughs> um, good old Shane. I'm. Uh, I think I know. I'm a. I'm a super fan. Eric, you're a fan of the Pogues, right? I uh, yeah, I enjoy. I enjoy the Pogues. Mark, I, what do you I don't listen to. I don't listen to him a lot, but I appreciate the Pogues. Yeah. Mark, where do you stand? I've never listened to one Pogue song in my life. What the fuck? Yeah. <laughs> that blows my mind. All right, Mark's getting a mixtape. Uh, anyhow. Eric made me one, and uh, I think I threw it in like my collection, and I never got around to it. Well, now you're getting a... You're, you're getting a, you're getting a 
You're getting a mixed zip drive. <laughs> Anyhow, Shane went through some troubles in the mid '90s, and that was him at the absolute bottom. He got better. He got he has real teeth now, or fake good teeth. Either way, good for Shane. Um, yeah, but that video, it's a cool yeah, song. <laughs> that video is actually it sounds like a gimmick, but it's worth seeking out. Yeah. So the next the next track is a standout track in my opinion. It's hanging around. This is a great groove and rocker. I think the chorus is wonderful. I think it's everything a rock song should be that gets in and gets out. And that's hanging around. It's very glam in the subject matter, too. It's kind of like Rebel Rebel, uh, where it's about like a jaded person seeing these young people in the scene. But unlike Rebel Rebel, which has a positive ending where this old person gets inspired by these young people, he's just kind of annoyed by them the whole time. Which is 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 funny. It's it, it it's a funny song, um, and, and it's it's you're right. It's got a killer hook. That chorus is uh, stuck in my head all week. Yeah, and so. it's also got it's got the Little Richard pianos, which we mentioned before. It definitely has Little Richard pianos, and it has you know sometimes you do bump into someone that's into something, especially like I'd say like when I was like thirty, if I would have ran into some guy that was still going to like uh, hardcore shows where you're picking change up off the ground, that doing that move. I would have been like, man, that's old. What are you doing? Um, <laughs> Mark, how do you feel about hanging around? It's not bad. It's like a glam version of Bob Dylan. Uh, it does use those same piano stylings similar to Suffragette City. It's not bad. Nice. All right. Now on to one of the most well-known rock songs of the 70s, maybe. Walk on the Wild Side. She was everybody's darling But she never lost her head Even when she was given head She says, hey babe Take a walk on the wild side Said, hey babe Take a walk on the wild side And the colored girls go do 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 There you go. So yeah, it's unmistakable. You hit, you hear that uh, stand-up bass doing it slide. Um... And uh, you're on, you're right on where you need to be. Walk on the wild side. Um, it's repetitive, but it builds. Um, the horns and the strings do their thing, uh, while Lou Reed uh, sings and tells stories about uh, uh, different people uh, in nightlife. A lot of it is uh, about cross-dressing and drugs and prostitution. Um, so it's pretty edgy lyrics for the time and being such a hit song. Um, there is a uh, controversial and the color girl would say when it gets to the chorus, which is still cringeworthy. I always kind of thought of it was like the song was like a, a corn fed guy from the Midwest, uh, just reacting to what he's seeing in the big city. Um, and that might be how he refers to that, to people who sing, uh, that kind of music, but maybe not, maybe I'm over apologizing for using that, that term. I don't know. But anyways, it's a. It's a great song. It's not a it's not a big hit, but I, it's got a good groove to it. Yeah, I mean, um, I enjoy this song. I think that uh, it was sampled by Tribe Called Quest, right? 
Oh yeah, yeah, that's an awesome track. Yeah, uh, that's a good one. Um, but yeah, no, I mean it's this is one of the Lou Reed songs I've ever heard on the radio. Um, it's not bad. I like it. I mean, it's got that bass line that just really uh, hooks you in. Well, don't and don't forget that uh, in some shape or form, uh, Third Eye Blind homaged it in Semi Charmed Life. That's true. I do remember that. Win, win. If if you listen to it, it's part of the lyrics. If you listen to the actual lyrics, it references the song. All right. Ooh. Okay. I'm not gonna. Yeah. Yeah, I'm not drop. I'm not doing a, a third eye blind needle drop. I'm sorry. <laughs> well, let's let's not, and let's instead do a needle drop for the song called "Makeup." Your face when sleeping is sublime. Makeup. This is a a funny and fun song. I think. I think it has a good message. It's talking about everybody coming out of the closet, I believe. Yeah. It's a bit of an empowering song. It definitely has a touch of that cabaret campiness to it we were talking about earlier. Big old tuba work. <laughs> a lot of tuba work. And something tells me this is where Mark starts to drift on this record. <laughs> um, yeah, I'm, I'm looking at my phone and just like, why am I spending time doing this now? Uh, the tuba's doing a little elephant walk. <laughs> By Herbie Flowers. <laughs> um, and yeah, it's just, it's not my cup of tea. I'm just like, okay, yeah. now I, it's not like I, I don't have time for tomfoolery. It's just one of those songs that, again, coming off of some of the, the strong songs, and then we're just now, it's, uh, I don't know. I think now Lou Reed is getting by on name recognition, and people are like, that's our Lou, and he, he's just being fun. Um, it's just not my thing. Sorry. Yeah, I don't. I don't think we're there yet. Uh, but it is. This, he, Lou does about the least on this song that he does on any others, as far as effort wise. So um, I, I, I could agree that it's maybe a low point on the album. Uh, it doesn't bother me. But it's. Uh, it's. It, I'm more impressed with the ridiculous tuba work in the background than than anything Lou does. Um, but that's that. Mark might get kicked off the podcast if he says the wrong thing about this next track, which is. Satellite of Love. 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 I've been told that you've been... Satellite of Love is a perfect song in my opinion. It's perfect. It's a perfect track. It influenced Mystery Science Theater 3000. Oh, yeah, it did. <laughs> it has great production value. The piano work is perfect. The hand claps are have a great echo to them. David Bowie steps in and does some great vocalization to where this is one of those songs where the first time I heard it, I remember it, where I was like, oh, this is something. This is This is special. This is good. And by the end of it, I was like, oh my God, David Bowie. This is basically a David Bowie song. I think. Boom, boom, boom. Yeah. That I love. Four four out of four stars, five out of five bolts in my book. It's a great song. And and actually, as. Yes, Bowie and Ronson are doing the heavy lifting, but I will say Lou Reed's actually singing on this song. Like, he is carrying a melody the whole time. It's my favorite song off the record. 
Uh, oh, good. Yeah. Same here. I mean, uh, <laughs> as much as I love Perfect Day, um, this song is phenomenal. Uh, D- uh, David Bowie's high notes at the end of that, like, he's really going for it in the background. Um, I just love it, and apparently so did Lou. So, love it. Great song. Yeah, and uh, you can't you can't beat the trombones or whatever the hell's got. I think it's, it sounds like a trombone. It could be. Who knows? Uh, and just the piano work is beautiful. Yeah. I'll watch you for a little while. If yeah. you could isolate the piano work for this track, it would still be worthwhile. Yeah. Uh, I've been told that you've been bold with Harry, Mark, and John. I've always loved that line so much. It's the, <laughs> I've been told that you've been bold. A little twinkle in the eye. Yeah. Um, uh, good stuff. So yeah, I was watching a, I was watching a live version of it from '84. I posted it on the the our Facebook, and it's a great rendition of it. But whoever the hell is on bass in it, or actually no, I'm sorry, lead guitar. The guy in lead guitar looks just like Hunter S. Thompson. Bald. <laughs> he's got a cigarette hanging out of his mouth. He's wearing glasses. It's perfect. Nice. Uh, so what's not perfect is the next song, Wagon Wheel. Oh, yeah. Won't you be my wagon wheel? Won't you tell me, baby? It sounds a little bit like yeah, Iggy Pop, bad, bad Phase is Iggy Pop. Um, and it's got some okay Ronson moments. And other than that, it's highly forgettable. I think the song ends pretty strong. It rem- it's reminiscent of some of the latter uh, Velvet Underground work, but uh, I didn't mind this song as much as some of the other three tracks that we go into uh, coming up. But uh, yeah, it was just kind of there. I didn't hate it. Oh, it was fine. Well, if you didn't hate Wagon Wheel, I'm sure you're going to love New York Telephone Conversation. <laughs> oh, boy. I was sleeping gently, napping when I heard the phone. Who is on the other end talking? Am I even home? Did you see what she did to him? Did you hear what they said? Yeah, this song belongs in a musical comedy on Off-Broadway. Yeah, just yeah. get it off. Yeah, yeah. no thanks. It's like a West Side Story. Worse um, than West. Anything on West Side yeah. Story is better than this, man. Yeah. Uh, you know, this is actually a Velvet Underground song. They would play this live in their loaded lineup uh, era. The New York Telephone so. Conversation? Yeah, you're right. You can, you, can, you can hear it on some bootlegs, like the Maxis Kansas City bootlegs from that era. <laughs> the whole, like... <laughs> Then Tom called John, and what he said was he couldn't believe what he heard. Oh, my. Yeah. It's just so <laughs> ridiculous. Yeah. I know what he's going for, but oh, yeah. oh brother. Yeah. Yeah. It's, um, it's, it, fits in the album. I, I don't know. It's, 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 it's ridiculous. I don't besmirch anybody for not liking it, but it does fit on the album, though, because I listen to it all the way through every time. I listen to this album all the way through. Yeah. The, it's, the it's, consistency it's, of the production makes me listen to it all the way through. Yeah, it's it's, it's yeah, it's it's easy to get through. If I can't be with you. I'm so free. Not not I feel free by David Bowie, but I'm so free. Uh, I give this song a- a three out of five. 
yeah, it's a it's a passable little uh, little rock song. It's got um, a good beat to it. I like some of his delivery. I'm Mother Nature's son, and I'm the only one. And then there's some really good background vocals in this. The ooh 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 ooh. Uh, it's 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 a fun little one. It's a it's a good example of what they're trying to create together on this record. I'm fine with it. Uh, musically, I think it could fit right into Ziggy or some other Bowie album. Uh, Lou's vocals are this, his kind of signature style where he sounds like he give a single fuck and he just keeps it <laughs> at his one level. But I do think it ends strong. Um, there's just no big changes through the song. It's not bad, but it's just kind of there for me. Right. Yeah. All right. And that gets us to the climax of this record, <laughs> which <laughs> I think we may be a podcast divided uh, two to one. Um Good night, ladies. It's time to say goodbye. Now, all night long, you've been drinking your tequila. I love this song. But now, uh, Mark, how do you feel about it? All right, I'm going to read my notes verbatim. <laughs> all right. So I'm not opposed to a little old-timey ragtime, you know, as the performer jumps off the stage and grabs his hat and coat from the rack while the spotlight follows him through the crowd. I'm not opposed to it, but Lou wears this as well as a suit made of cellophane. If this was Tom Waits doing this, it would be expected and encouraged, but Lou sings this as if he's reading a takeout order. (laughs) (laughs) There it is. That's that's my piece. It's not unfair. It's not unfair. It's not unfair. Yeah. Well, uh, <laughs> I, I I like the images that it picks up. It's uh, the you know faces downtown Sacramento. The gay club closes, and the uh, the gentlemen of the night, uh, you know, dip dip their hats to the uh, to the ladies as they walk off together for the after party, and uh, and um, that's what that's what's in my head. But you're right, Lou Reed is uh, you know. He's 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 flipping through a, a book while he's singing um, about an unrelated topic and <laughs> and getting some lyrics out in between yeah, pages. Is, yeah. Okay. I'll give. So here's the thing. Musically, I love this. It reminds me of a um, living in a glass house uh, Radiohead, if you will. Right. Um, I love, for lack of a better term, New Orleans sounding horn work. Okay. Oh yeah, I dig that. But to Eric and Mark's point. It does sound like, yeah, the, the flipping through a book or to put it mo- in modern terms, he's just, you know, it's a random episode of uh, Grace and Frankie season five on Netflix. You put on the background as you go through your mail. You know, that's <laughs> that's about as much that's just, that's about as much effort as you put into singing into this song. Uh, <laughs> first ever connection for to Grace and Frankie and Goodnight Ladies. That's great. Uh, it might not be, actually, if you think about it, <laughs> if you watch the show. <laughs> so that's transformer i think we did a good job plowing through it um the record i like i said even though even though eric's the one that got me into to transformer lou reed and velvet underground i don't hold it against them uh, i appreciate him for it um I, I i like the album quite a bit uh in discussing it yes it is flawed but it also the high highs make it a classic rock album I will give it a 3.5 bolts. 
nostalgia gives it a makes me give it a four four out of five bolts. Uh, if I was being a uh, if I was analyzing it like a critic, I would it would be more in probably the two five three range. But I, I give it a four out of five. Two point five. Yeah, like I said, half this record is just undeniably fantastic, and the other half is just kind of Lou being Lou. You know. Yeah. It's amazing. It's amazing that Lou Reed was able to coast off being in one of the. Uh, he was able to coast off being in the uh, arguably the first indie rock band, maybe. Right. And and then having like maybe two really pretty good albums for decades. He coasted yeah. off that for decades. His persona was what really got him by more so than his musicianship from the eighties until he died. I think. Yeah. Um. If you if you get a chance, just bounce around his his solo albums here and there. There's some really weird ones where he's like messing with synth pop, and then there's like a one that's all about magic, dark, like black magic. Um, but yet he can't be bothered to to wake up, get lift himself out of bed to sing. <laughs> <laughs> it's yeah, it's <laughs> he's definitely it's true. He was definitely part of the stew that Bowie was working with in this time, though. Right. And so we got to cover one of the most classic Bowie albums and uh, an ancillary record. That was fun. Yeah. And it definitely, it was, it, you know, I, 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 I hate to think what would happen if the dice after Tin Machine, I'm sorry, I shouldn't even say it. Sorry. <laughs> uh, after that last album we covered, I mean, if we would have rolled a uh, hours or something, the, the podcast would have ended. So we're lucky that much like Ziggy Stardust and the Spiders from Mars kind of was about, depending on what the storyline is that you look at it for, if it's Eric space alien Messiah version, or maybe more my just a, a rock star that, you know, comes and goes, there definitely is a through line there of music helping you get better after dealing with something you don't want to deal with, which is what we needed after TM. That's true. All right, I got the dice rolling. I got the dice warming up in my hand right now. Do you got the list going? I do, yeah. Let's do it. All right, let's see what's next. Okay. Now, I believe we've done 20. We've done 20 already, correct? We have. That was black tie, white noise. Yeah. Okay. So, uh, what's 26? Here I am, not quite dying. My body left and Twenty-six is the next day. Oh, that's All right. fun! All righty, there you, you know, go. We're really, I like going from the start to the finish to the start of the finish. That's good. The yeah. next day, the next day is something I listen to twice all the way through. So I will be looking forward to really giving it the uh, old the, the old uh, podcast due diligence. Yeah, yeah. I, I seem to remember some great music videos from that album. There's like oh, yeah, two or three talking, great ones. So. We'll be talking about, uh, is it Emma Thompson? Uh, uh, not, uh, uh, Tilda Swinton. Yeah, Tilda, Tilda Swinton. Swinton. Can you blame me for getting them mixed up? I know. Um, yeah, that'll be fun. That's good. No, I'm, I'm excited. to do, That's actually, that is good. This is one that I don't like. As much as Ziggy Stardust was fun to revisit, I knew it pretty well, and I did not mind sleeping with it for a few weeks. This will be, I'll be looking for new sounds I don't recognize. This is good. Nice. All right, fellas. That was. Uh, that should do it. That, that, let's do it. Let's call it. 
All right. Well, thank you for listening, everyone out there in uh, television land. But uh, join us next time when we talk about the next day. Um, this has been Mark. Zarek. And I am Steven. And you can find us on Facebook, Twitter, Instagram at Pod Like a Whole. And if you want to throw a little change into our Patreon bucket, we'll have links to you in the show notes. Thanks again, and we hope that we brought you closer to Pod. Good night, ladies. Saturday night.